And I'm gonna ask Charlie Chavidian if she would come on forward. She's the founder and CEO of Every Mother's Advocate, a nonprofit she started at 20 years old out of her college dorm room. Has over a decade of experience in nonprofit leadership, child welfare, maternal health, and inner city uh, community development. I'm not gonna actually share her mission with you because I actually want you to hear it from her. And she's a wife, mother, and uh, leader in the nonprofit space. And uh, it is our pleasure to have Charlie with us. Let's welcome her to Providence. Good morning. What a cool church. You guys, this is a gem and just rare, not common. And we speak to churches. Um, I speak to a lot of churches in South Florida and churches really around the country. And so what you guys are building here and this, the mission you're stewarding is really, really, really beautiful. So uh, my uh, Alessandra, I think she might have just stepped out, is our director of operations. And she's like, literally texting her husband, contemplating moving here, so she can go to church. There she is. Oh man, I feel like we have been so just showered with prayer and just inviting the Holy Spirit into this room, but if I could just pray one more time, if you would join me, that would be great. Lord, thank you, Father, just for meeting us here and for being so true to who you are, for never changing. God, and we just ask for a special anointing and a special falling of your Holy Spirit in this room this morning, Lord, and that this word that you have deposited into my heart, Lord, that it would be shared and only the things from you would be remembered, God. Anything that's not of you, Father, would it fall on deaf ears, and anything that is of you, God, would it just be written on our hearts and our minds, and may it shape us inform us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, well, yes, my name is Charlie Chavijan, and I am the founder and CEO of Every Mother's Advocate. Uh, I am married to a Canadian hockey player uh, who's now in construction, and I have two little boys, Jacob and Levi, so I'll, I'll definitely share some stories about them throughout today. Um, but yeah, I just really wanted to talk to you guys this morning about this idea of biblical advocacy. Um, obviously, I am running an organization called Every Mother's Advocate. We go by EMA, which also stands for mother in the Hebrew language. And this, this idea of advocacy has so shaped my life. And so I want to share with you guys a little bit today about why it shaped my life and how there is an there is an extension of an invitation to all of you to participate. Maybe it's in EMA, but maybe God is, is, is placing something in your spirit and in your heart. And whatever that is, I hope that you would just have open ears and open heart to hear what he wants to say to you guys today. Um, I, there is, I've had two experiences in my life that have shaped who I am, what I do, and why I do it. And I'm going to share both of them with you this morning. The first one was the story of a 15-year-old girl who grew up in South Africa, one of the, some of the poorest parts of South Africa. 
She was raped and became pregnant by a man uh, who believed in what they call the virgin cleansing myth in South Africa. And it's basically a demonic lie that has swept across that country that has said, convincing men that if you are positive with HIV uh, and you sleep with a young virgin, that you would be cured of that disease. So you can imagine just uh, the catastrophe that that's created across this country. So this young girl, now soon to be a mom, has an unborn child on the way, became that victim of just pure manifestation of evil. And uh, she's unwed, she's now a pregnant teen, she's been cast out by her village, no longer accepted at her school, and this young mom ended up carrying this baby full term, and while she was carrying this baby, carrying just an insurmountable weight of shame and loneliness and fear across those 10 months. So as she came to the end of her pregnancy, she labored all alone, uh, somewhere out in the bush of Africa, and shortly after that infant entered into the world, I can imagine that this mom spent this shared moment with this child, and then she tightly swaddled him and left him in the nearest trash site that she could find, and she ran. And so this was this helpless, powerless, voiceless baby left in this garbage to die by a helpless, powerless, and voiceless mom. By chance, that same baby uh, was found by a few women in a nearby village and brought to be raised by this orphanage and ended up in my arms. And I happened to be on a five-month internship to South Africa. And as they were sharing with me the graphic details of this story, while one woman shared and another woman translated, I just held this orphan and I looked into his eyes and my heart just grieved for this mom. My body ached over this tragic story, and I became angry, and I became sad, and then I began to just wonder, like, could this story have had an alternate ending? If one person had advocated for this mom, there are an estimated 2.4 billion Christians in this world. How did, like, all of us miss this one? Could the outcome have been different if one person wrapped around this mom and, with a, and built a meaningful relationship with her? invested in her dignity, invested in her agency, invested in her capacity. So the key to this story was that it lacked a sense of advocacy. It, it demonstrated a mom who fell into the cracks of society, and we all missed it. Um, 1 John 3, 17 through 18 became a directive scripture for my life at a young age, and I, we just read it today as a congregation, but I want to read it to you again. And I'm going to touch on it a little bit in the end, but I wanted to read it for preference. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love in words or in speech, but with actions and in truth. This scripture became so foundational for me because I've always wrestled with privilege. I was born into this this mass privilege and opportunity while other human beings are born into complete despair. And so I've always had a hard time like grappling with that and understanding that because privilege is a really interesting thing. I haven't done anything to earn my position into this world before I was born. I'm not winning at life. I'm not smarter. I'm not savvier. I'm not harder working than many of the people that we interact with on a daily basis. By nothing of my own doing, I was born at an advantage. 
we know that in Luke 12, 48, it says, basically, to whom much is given, much is required. And that moment in that village was one of my two greatest paradigm shifts. One of those moments that was like, now that I have seen, I am responsible. So fast forward a few years later, I started a nonprofit, yes, out of my college dorm room. I was 20 years old. I was a junior. I had no idea what I was doing. And a few students, uh, it was student-led, and we went to, to the, some inner-city, low-income neighborhoods every Saturday where we would play with the kids of these neighborhoods. And week after week, I started thinking, like, my heart was always more geared towards the mom. And so while a lot of students went and played with the kids, I was like, why don't we hang out with these moms while we're playing with the kids? So we literally went to some of the poorest neighborhoods we could find and knocked door to door and were like, hey, we want to start a mentoring program for teen moms. Like, you want to be a part of this? And they were like, you guys are weird. And we were like, we'll have pizza. And so we had no idea what we were doing. I was not a mom myself, but just really... God so used those first, it was three years of doing that. Every week, week after week after week, we met with these moms. We started in one neighborhood and we went to six neighborhoods and we just hung out with them and we did life together. And there wasn't really a clear uh, curriculum that we were working through, but it was this season of my life that I got to live in such, such close proximity with women that I didn't share experiences with. But I got to hear their stories and listen to their pain points and their lived realities and their shared experiences and just understand them better. And so I so saw those early experiences in ministry as this season that was so formative. It was so incredibly sobering to live in close proximity with people that I may not share in experiences with. But hearing their real stories and the real needs of many of these families that were forgotten, that were voiceless, that were powerless. So I spent that season building relationships with teenage moms and their children, doing life with them, and it so reframed and shaped my perception of the church and what we should be doing. And our responsibility to live in close proximity with these families, with one another, and to become valiant advocates for those who are marginalized and vulnerable in our city. So I wanna talk this morning about advocacy for a few minutes. If I went around this room and asked everybody what you thought advocacy meant or what that term means to you, just like any survey, I think we would all get variations of the same answer. But just so we're clear, the Webster Dictionary defines the term advocate as any action that speaks in favor of argues for a cause, supports or defends or pleads on behalf of others. So when I say the word advocate, what comes to your mind? Or more importantly, who comes to your mind? Maybe the first image that rushes to the forefront of your mind is someone that you've never had the privilege of personally knowing or doing life with. Maybe they are a distant, influential figure. I think of, of Rosa Parks of the world a brave and courageous woman who went down in history for her pivotal role in the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955, when she refused to give up her seat to a white man and stood boldly against the injustices of, this, of segregation in this country. That woman was referred to as the mother of the freedom movement, which I love. Or I think of a Harriet Tubman, a woman born into slavery who so 
spiritfully led, um, I believe it was 13 missions with slaves out of egregious bondage and into freedom. So now those are really extreme examples of advocates throughout history that I'm sure we could go around the room and share many others who have done such noble and just filled things just like those two. But sometimes they feel unattainable or unreachable examples of an advocate for many of us in this room. Like we can't relate to that level of advocacy. We can't measure up to that level of advocacy because for the reality is if we really all sat here and thought about it, who is that one person, someone in your life that's advocated for you, our minds probably don't race to that distant historical influential figure when you're thinking of someone that's advocated for you. No, you, you probably start to think of someone specific to you, someone personal, someone you have had the privilege of knowing and loving, someone who hasn't necessarily advocated for an entire people group, but someone in your life who has advocated for you. Who is that person? It could be your boss who took a risk on you and gave you that job that you really needed but you were totally underqualified for and bypassed the people that maybe had the fancier resumes with and checked all the boxes and had the preferred experiences, but instead they advocated for you and invested into your untapped potential. Or maybe it was a doctor who stopped at nothing to give you the best treatment with the best surgeon on an aggressive timeline because they believed that your life had so much value and it was so worth living. A grandma who fight, fought for the custody of you, raised you in her home when no one else in your family would or could, and decided to ensure that your life wasn't going to become just a statistic. We could go on and on with examples of mothers, of other people from our lives who have advocated for us in one way or another, a parent, a sibling, a coach, a pastor, a friend, coworker. But at the end of the day, advocacy is all about relationship. Relationship. I believe that every one of us in this room is here today because someone, somewhere, along the line, advocated for you. One relationship you had where someone spoke in favor of you, argued for your cause, supported you, defended you, pled on your behalf. Advocacy could be defined in a million different ways, but this morning, if I could just take us a step further and begin to unpack this idea of biblical advocacy. In scripture, advocacy is deemed necessary when someone is in desperate need of one of two things or both, and that's mercy and justice. You cannot find a story in the Bible that's a story of advocacy that's not also a story of mercy and justice. Tyler Staten's, I always say his name wrong. How do you say it, Al? Staten. Tyler Staten describes mercy and justice as this. Mercy is about humanizing and dignifying and serving those forced to live on the margins of our society. Justice is about correcting the systems and the structures that marginalize others in the first place. At EMA, one of our core values is that we believe every human holds inherent dignity. We serve, and I'll share about EMA and the actual intricacies of what we do at the end of this, but we do serve a very poor and disenfranchised community of moms who were born and raised in generational cycles of poverty and quite frankly have a 13% chance of ever exiting it. So our value 
to dignify the undignified is practiced in how we treat every woman that walks through our doors, much like what Pastor Jason was describing in this building that we're sitting in here. We provide full transportation. We offer her beverage of choice and snack when she's hungry. The EMA Center is designed like a West Elm showroom. The candles are always burning. She never leaves empty-handed, and she always leaves feeling heard. My favorite things in the world is when a new mom comes into our facility, and she thinks we're going to just be like any other agency, and it's she's going to have to go through the motions and do our program to be able to get her kids back if they're in foster care. And she walks in, and she's just showered with this level of love and hospitality and is like, oh, this is not what I thought I was signing up for. But sometimes that, that element of mercy, these women that walk through our doors that feel so undeserving of that type of hospitality, which is so backwards, is the price of admission into someone's life. Like you're building that connection and that level of trust. Mercy, relentless, unreserved mercy. And justice our, our team of advocates and staff go to court with moms regularly who have open case plans with social services, not as legal representation, but they're just there to advocate on her behalf to a judge of what mom needs and what her progress is, just to be a support to mom. And so when Ema first became a service provider for the state of Florida, and we started showing up in court and judges were like, why is someone from parenting in the courtroom right now? And what could they possibly say? But because we have relationship with mom, we are able to speak to the case in a way that nobody else in the room can. There was this one instance um, that the, the judge was uh, heard this case of a mom and was going to remove her kids. And I remember saying to the judge, you know, we believe that this is an injustice, that poverty is punishable by law in this country. And the tearing apart of this family is at stake in this moment. And like, we're not going anywhere until this mom's full story is heard. Because you see, Your Honor, this mom is not unfit to be a mom. She's living in her car with her baby because her abusive ex-boyfriend set her apartment on fire. So, Your Honor, this mom actually doesn't need her baby removed from her care. We don't need to introduce that level of trauma here. She just needs a safe place to live. True story. Justice. Relentless, unreserved justice. Some, something every great advocate in history has fully comprehended and embodied. A good example of justice was provided by a great historian who went by the name of Kyle Harper who said in the Roman society, where the early church took root, women were described as powerless possessions in the legal language of the Roman Empire. And he says many women who were sex slaves, what we know today as sex trafficking, which was widely accepted as the norm. Then the early church came along and they became the first community in history to say, hey, that's wrong, that's injustice. And so Kyle Harper goes on to make this point that says you can actually trace the spread of the early church by tracing the legal ban of sexual slavery throughout the Roman Empire. So in his best estimation, the greatest tracking of the early church explosion was where you saw the overturning of sexual violence against vulnerable women. 
Like that's a church on fire. That is the epitome of biblical advocacy and mercy and justice. So today, will the church be remembered for our good intentions and these initiatives we championed and the roundtable discussions that we participated in and the cohorts we facilitated? Or will we be remembered by the people we advocated for in our cities? Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote in his book, God in Search of Man, the world needs more than the secret holiness of individual inwardness. It needs more than sacred sentiments of, and good intentions. God asks for the heart because he needs our lives. It is by the lives that beat in concordance with God that the world will be redeemed by deeds that outbeat the finite charity of the human heart. Man's power of action is less vague than his power of intention. Biblical advocacy would say justice for others cannot happen apart from our own personal relationship with God. It would say that we are motivated and called into this work because we have relationship with the one who has advocated for us. And if our relationship with God is not moving us towards the marginalized, and our lives and our time is not being spent on those who are most vulnerable in our communities, then it really begs the question, are we truly being spiritually formed by him? True advocacy is possible unless, true advocacy is only possible unless we are moved to action by conviction. And conviction only comes through connectedness to the vine. So the early church, they were moved to action by conviction and deep connectedness to Jesus. There are stories of advocacy infused all throughout scripture that we don't have time to dive into this morning, and quite frankly, I'm not very qualified to go to you there. But as you move through your sermon series here at Providence, I encourage you to stop and study the themes of advocacy that so many of these biblical and faith heroes demonstrate. Men and women throughout scripture, scripture who were both friends of God and fearless advocates, each one of them so deeply and intimately connected to Jesus. And all in their own unique way, I think of Moses and Nehemiah and Daniel and David and Esther and Mary. Esther being a woman who risked everything to save her people by using her influence with a king and advocated for the marginalized. She advocated for the Jews. She put her status on the line. She risked her own life for the freedom of those without a voice. Scripture doesn't just suggest this idea of advocacy. It actually commands it. Scripture commands our advocacy of others but so graciously doesn't leave us guessing as to what that looks like. There are over 2,000 references in the Bible about drawing close to and caring for the poor among us and the vulnerable among us. One in every six verses in the Gospel of Luke are related to God's heart for the poor. Matthew 25, 31 through 46, I'm going to read it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. 
And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. How we treat the poor, the marginalized, the vulnerable, is how we treat God. But ultimately, we are given the best model of advocacy in the life of Jesus. A man, a fully God and fully man, who healed the sick, he gave sight to the blind, he freed the oppressed, he honored, he drew close to, he dignified, he flipped the script for the poor, the marginalized, and the vulnerable. And he corrected, back to our quote with Tyler, he corrected the systems and the structures that marginalized them in the first place. By taking it a step further beyond how Jesus just loved and cared for the vulnerable and the poor, but by acknowledging his advocacy for all of us and all of mankind on the cross, his advocacy through his death and his resurrection. Jesus was the great equalizer, and um, the late Billy Graham put it perfectly when he said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. In other words, we are all in desperate need of God's advocacy and mercy and justice in our own lives. Uh, Romans 8, scripture tells us that the spirit, defined as our advocate, intercedes for us to the Father on our behalf when we are too sick, too broken, too disoriented to advocate for ourselves. He promises to advocate on our behalf when our groans are too deep for words. He approaches the throne of grace with boldness for us. Who are you approaching the throne of grace with boldness for? I want to reiterate the scripture that I opened with in 1 John 3, 17 through 18, but this time in the words of Eugene Peterson, the message says it this way, this is how we've come to understand and experience God's love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. My dear children, let us not talk about love. Let's practice real love. The only way we'll know we're truly living, uh, or living truly, living in God's reality. So how are we practicing the way of Jesus? In other words, advocating for the mercy and the justice of others is God's invitation to you to love people, like really love people by being in relationship with them. Not only are we invited to partake in what he does, but we are free to love people, no strings attached. And what do I mean by free to love? That's our job. That's the only thing God asks us to do is to love people. We aren't responsible to change them. That's God's job. First Corinthians um, 3.7 says, uh, is, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters anything, but only God who's make things grow. That's all he asks us to do is to plant. It is his responsibility to make things water and grow. So sometimes advocating on behalf of others means taking on those lowly tasks. Sometimes it feels like you're sweating in front of this undying fire, melting down the dross day in and day out, and loving them and being with them. As, as Ema grows and begins to just see our impact more and more across lives, mothers, families, children, of course, we're an organization that really values outcomes. We want to see what changes in our investments that we make, 
How are we seeing sustainable change? How are we seeing the sustainable impact? And that's something we all desire for our lives is to like see our return on our investment. We hesitate to take on that new project when the investment doesn't look like it's going to be too promising. But sometimes we have a mom that comes into our program that we know after a 90 minute assessment is probably not gonna be a good outcome for us. Like whether she has deep rooted trauma or mental health, like she might not get her child back or she might not be able to raise her children in a safe, stable, nurturing environment at this time. But the reality is we're gonna love her anyways. And we've watched our team day in and day out treat moms with the inherent dignity that they so deserve by simply loving her and meeting her in that moment and meeting her in her loneliness, listening to her, spending an hour of your week with someone, calling her an Uber so she doesn't have to take three buses home. Our, if our lives be in concordance with God's, as we are being formed and changed and renewed and redeemed by God's righteousness, then the advocate within us overflows in the form of advocacy for others, no matter what the outcome is. Uh, I'll end with this, but in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus says to the disciples, the kingdom of heaven is near. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. In other words, Jesus is saying, I've given you so much. I've gifted you with so much because I delight in you, not because you've earned it, whether it's your position of power or authority or resources or influence or platforms, your experiences, your intelligence, your spiritual gifts, your relationships, your family, your legacy, those gifts are all things that God has given you that have nothing to do with you. He loves you and he wants a relationship with you. So what does that look like for us to extend that same promise to those in our community who may have never been told that? He loves you and he wants a relationship with you. When we can recognize all that God has done for us, that's when we can come to this place where we can now freely give out of a place of abundance and not a place of lack. Freely you have received, so freely give. I can only advocate for others because I was once advocated for, and I understand that. Because I understand what it feels like to receive a free gift that I am so undeserving of. I understand what it feels like to be extended grace upon grace upon grace that I don't deserve. I understand what it feels like to be valued with the inherent dignity that God sees in me and is placed in me. And because I have received God's advocacy for me, how can I help myself but to not extend that same advocacy for someone else? So biblical advocacy is quite simple in its layman's terms, is doing for others what Jesus did for us. Every one of us holds incredible influence that you can leverage. You might be shy and you might you know, fall under these limiting labels that we can so easily become paralyzed by but you have something to give. You might not have a lot of time right now, but you can use your mind. You might, you might be an empty nester and have a lot of time in this season of your life, so give that. I, I just, I wanna call this out for those who are thinking of those excuses uh, that you don't have enough, or you haven't experienced enough, or that you can't relate, um, or that you wouldn't be good at that, or that that's not your thing, that's their thing. Uh, what does it mean to take meaningful risk? Don't wait till your kids are older. Don't wait till you're more financially secure. 
You're not too old. You're not too young. If the spirit of God is stirring something in you, heed that. Don't ignore it. Become that foster family. Move to that neighborhood. Start that venture. Disciple that youth. Advocate for that vulnerable mom. Tutor a child. Whatever it is that God is wiring in you, heed that instruction. Uh, before I close, I just want to bring us to the question that I opened with, which is who is that person that has advocated for you? And if you are able to answer that question, if you're able to picture that person that's advocated for you as to why you're standing and who you are today, then I'm also here to tell you that you are responsible. You are responsible to extend that same advocacy to someone else. We advocate for the people in our cities. Why advocate for the people in our cities who are in need of mercy and justice? And the answer is simple, so that the world may know God. If there's 2.4 billion Christians in this world, don't estimate, don't underestimate the power of what God can do in one and in the obedience and the conviction of one. Uh, it only flows from a place of intimacy with God. And from that place, we open our souls to just be positively disrupted by God. Jesus is our great advocate. And he's shown us oceans and oceans of unreserved, undeserved mercy and justice. Uh, I'm Last one, and then I'm going to talk about Ema, and then I'll close. Um, Christ has no body but yours. Uh, this was a poem that was written by St. Teresa Avila. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. You are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Before I close, I just want to share that second paradigm shift that I had. The first one was in the slums of Africa. My second major paradigm shift was four years ago in the back of a courtroom. Uh, when I was there as a party to the case, and we were there, what we thought to be celebrating adoption of two young boys who had been in foster care for about 30 months. And everything changed for me that morning when I looked up and I saw this birth mom entering into the courtroom. She was young, she was single, she was poor, and she took a seat and for the next eight hours sat there silently weeping as witness after witness took the stand to prove to the court why this woman was unfit to be a mom. And I, I remember thinking we were going to leave court that day celebrating adoption, and instead I left court that day grieving for a mom, that I just watched endure one of the worst days of her life by permanently losing her sons to a system for some reasons that were justified, for more reasons that were totally preventable. And so this, this statement really changed the way that I saw the foster care crisis and the family separation crisis. And it was this, that behind every child at risk, there is a mother in crisis. And it started to put us down this rabbit trail of understanding why are there so many children in foster care? And what we came to find out was that 76% of children in foster care are being removed from their homes being removed from their moms because of reasons linked to poverty, like unmet basic needs, food, no running water, no electricity, no access to medical needs. 
Those are reasons that are totally preventable. And we knew after that experience that if we wanted to make a sustainable impact in this space, we had to go upstream and begin focusing on, our, on this crisis right at its root. So the reality is that means right now in our foster care system, there's over 250,000 children in the system who we would argue should not be there. They're there for reasons that could have been prevented. And they represent over 100,000 moms in crisis who fell into the gaps of our society. We missed them. It is our mission, that's when we went upstream and we focused our mission to prevent family separation by advocating for mothers who are in crisis. So we developed this court-approved prevention program uh, that was designed to serve a really vulnerable demographic of moms who are experiencing poverty, who are at risk of losing their children in foster care, and some moms who have a child in foster care and are working really hard to be reunified with them again. So we developed this court-approved program and our model has this two-prong approach. The role of the EMA advocate, who is a volunteer, women that we recruit from local churches, much like this one, and we train these women to basically build a relationship with one mom, to journey with her into that crisis, or journey, to journey with her to move her from a place of crisis to a place of stability. And then the second half of our model is that we provide case management through the role of an EMA coordinator. And the role of the EMA coordinator is a, our team of professional workers that connect mom to needed services right in her community and, and represent her in court to advocate on her behalf of what she needs and what her progress is. And when these two sources of support come together, what we see is a mom's ability to achieve lasting stability. So over the last three years, we've built this model, we've tested it, we've piloted it, and what we've found is that 88% of the moms that came through our program that were at risk of losing their children to foster care kept their families together when they were engaged in the EMA program. We can never underestimate the, the power of one meaningful relationship. So we've designed this program and now we're piloting it across the country, training other organizations and churches on how to operate their own EMA program, serve the very real needs of these moms who are in crisis right in their community in a way that offers real and lasting and sustainable change. We also know that EMA is not the solution to this problem within our own four walls, that we can only do it through a collective of organizations, churches, partners, volunteers, advocates, patrons, who believe in the value of prevention, who believe in this family-first ethos that we're gonna do whatever we can to prevent the separation, to empower families to raise their kids in stable, nurturing environments, and that foster care and adoption becomes a last resort. Imagine with us, just for a moment, a generation of marginalized, disenfranchised, vulnerable moms who are met with advocacy and support and dignity in place of blame and shame. What happens is that those pipelines to foster care begin to slowly fade, those pipelines to prison and poverty and addiction and homelessness all begins oftentimes at the starting point of the separation and the breakdown of a family. So our flipping of the script is to say, a vulnerable mom is not the problem with the family separation crisis. We actually believe she is the most unexpected solution. So our dream, our North Star, is to get to a place where we can be serving 100,000 moms in crisis every year, because those are the moms that fall into the gaps of our society, 
those are the moms that represent those 250,000 kids in foster care on any given day who we say shouldn't be there. And we believe in the next 30 years, this era will be history where we will say, do you remember that season of Amer in American history where we never had enough foster homes and always had too many foster kids simply because we're gonna go upstream and we're gonna prevent the removal of children in the first place. So, will you join us? Pray for us. We do not have an EMA program in Denver yet. <laughs> we would love to see EMA launched here in this city. And if God's stirring something in your heart, we wanna to talk to you. But in the meantime, there are ways for you to join us remotely. Uh, women as advocates, we can pair you with a mom in our program uh, anywhere in the country, really. And you let God use your gifts and your wiring and your calling to do something right now in small but very meaningful and impactful ways. So thank you so much. I'm here tonight as well uh, to talk a little bit more about my story and uh, on a panel with some other phenomenal women that are also in the nonprofit space or building their own venture that can speak to just ministry and how to sustain a long obedience in the same direction. So thank you for having me. Um, let me pray us out. God, we just love you and we just ask, Father, that this hour um, would be one that forms us, Lord, that we would encounter you in this moment. Lord, from every tribe, nation, tongue, experience, background, ethnicity, social status, economic status, Father, the ground at the foot of the cross is equal, is even. Father, would we just, would that resonate with us, Lord? Remind us to give from a place of abundance, not a place of lack. Lord, may we freely receive this gift that you've already given us, this price that you've already paid, Remind us of the mercy and the justice, Father, that you have freely showered over us. And although we're so undeserving of it, God, we receive that. We receive the righteousness in you. And Lord, teach us how to extend that to the people that you are placing on our hearts, in our communities, in our cities, in our church, in our neighborhoods, God. May we be a church that moves to action by a conviction Lord, of, holy, of holiness, Lord, make us holy like you're holy. We love you. We give all these things to you in your name. Amen. Let's thank Charlie. Thank you.